Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome back to Politico Tech. Today's Friday, January 19th. I'm Stephen Overly. The World Economic Forum has been happening in Davos, Switzerland this week. A gathering of the world's muckety-mucks, world leaders and billionaires. The setting is posh. The ski slopes are freshly powdered, and I can only assume the champagne is ice cold. And this year, the streets are lined with AI. So not so long ago, every building along the main street in Davos was a blockchain. Right? They're taken over by blockchain companies advertising their blockchain technology or their cryptocurrency or whatever it might be. And that's almost completely vanished. This is Stuart Russell. He's a computer science professor at the University of California, Berkeley, where he also leads the Center for Human-Compatible AI. Its mission is to make sure that AI actually benefits humans. And Stuart has been in Davos all week. They could be technology companies, they could be financial companies, they could be consulting firms, and they're all advertising AI. They're wrapping themselves in that banner. I've been tracking the guest list at this year's World Economic Forum. You've got business leaders like Sam Altman of OpenAI and Satya Nadella of Microsoft making their case alongside top officials from the European Union, the U.S., China, and beyond. On the show today, Stuart Russell gives me the inside scoop on how this new technology is leaving its mark on the mountain town. Because a big question I have is whether or not all of this conversation about AI at Davos will actually lead to any policymaking. Hey, Stuart, how are you? How's Davos? Uh, hi, I am enjoying Davos a lot. It's quietening down now. I actually saw some cars moving at more than two miles an hour uh, as I came over here. So that's a sign that it's thinning out a bit. What surprised you most about the conversations you're having there around AI? Um Actually, that government's policymakers have caught on pretty quickly. Oh, really? Uh, and, and that's due to the fact that they themselves have used large language models like ChatGPT, and so they've experienced it in a visceral sense. But also, I think, efforts from academia, civil society, and to some extent from the tech companies themselves to explain that if this trend continues, if the systems uh, eventually reach a level where they're exceeding human intellectual capabilities in every dimension, that that will have absolutely earth-shaking implications for our society, for the economy, and even for our future existence. I'm quite impressed that governments are actually talking to a lot of people trying to find out what they should do. They haven't decided what they should do in advance. They're not treating this from a political point of view. Mostly, they're treating it from the point of view of the human race. Uh, how can we guide this thing so that it turns out well for the human race? You know, and there's a little bit of how does it turn out well for our country in particular, but it's still not politicized in the way that so many other issues are politicized. And One of the recurring themes I seem to have heard a lot of coming out of Davos from, from world leaders is this idea that AI is going to solve kind of all sorts of problems that humans have not been able to solve, right? There's a lot of talk about AI in healthcare, AI, climate change. Are some of these world leaders mistaken in thinking that AI is going to be sort of this great savior to to fix some of these existential problems? Yes, it's it's sort of like saying, well, it's okay, my fairy godmother is going to solve all these problems, so I don't have to. You know, if you if you look at our major problems, I would say certainly nuclear war, 
and um, climate change, these are failures of collective action. Everyone knows what we need to do, but no one is willing to do it because they don't trust the other people, because they, they want to steal a march on other people. Uh, they want to be free riders, right? All, all of those uh, sort of game theoretic potholes that we know we, we will fall into, we are falling into them. And, and this is really up to us. You know, if we ask the AI, how do we fix it? The AI would say, get your act together, right? right. So that's, that's the solution. <laughs> and I think there are places where AI can help around the edge. Um, I think it can probably improve our ability to do comprehensive, integrated, social, biological, and physical climate modeling. It can speed up the ability to do those giant simulations that, you know, the reasons why we have these billion-dollar supercomputers to do it. Uh, if we can do it thousands of times faster and more accurately, we could do a better job of policy design. I think pandemics are another issue people worry about. We could use AI to have an early detection system that was global. We probably can use AI to speed up the development of vaccines. You know, have we used AI to create that early detection, early warning system for the world? No, right? Right. You know, everyone was saying, you know, when the pandemic started, we wish we had a global early warning system. We could have saved millions of lives. Let's make sure that we put that in place. And as soon as the pandemic stopped, it was, I was like, what? What did we say? No, we didn't. We didn't say anything. Uh, let's just go back to normal. So, so we haven't actually put much in place, and we'll probably have exactly the same crisis all over again in ten years' time. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. The conversations there around how to manage the risks of AI and sort of some of the potential downsides here as this technology gets smarter and smarter. I'm curious how those have gone. In, in particular, I, I read something you wrote, you know, just before Davos started around how in the coming year, you know, you'd like to see the adoption of some of the EU AI Act sort of principles more broadly. What's in there that you would like to see enacted? I think there I'm really just asking for some very simple steps that essentially reserve some space on Earth for humans. So the idea that you should always know whether you're interacting with a human being or, or a machine, that this is a right and it should be incorporated in law everywhere on Earth. We can think of that as sort of planting, you know, staking a claim to some space for humanity, and then we can build on that. But I think partly it's just to remind legislators that they can actually legislate technology. It's been a regulation-free zone for 50 years right? because the tech companies have successfully convinced regulators that uh, regulation stifles innovation. And if you regulate, then we won't get any of the benefits of the technology. This seems to me completely misleading and incorrect. We all flew here on highly regulated aircraft. Would you want to fly on an aircraft 
that wasn't subject to any inspections or any quality control or any regulation? Well, I mean, in fact, in Russia, they relaxed some of the regulations because they're having problems with spare parts. So in order to keep flying, they took off some of the regulatory requirements. And they've had eight emergency landings in the first eight days of 2024 as a result. Have you come away from the gathering there with a sense that world leaders are kind of coalescing around an approach to managing these risks? Or is everyone still in like figure it out mode? I think there's a tendency for world leaders to listen more to tech CEOs, which is sort of mistaken for two reasons. Often the tech CEOs are not actually AI experts. They're CEOs, and some of them are very good at being CEOs, but they typically don't have deep research background in AI, as they probably should. They will spin the story in their favor. So from what I'm hearing, almost all of the private lobbying of governments is saying don't regulate. Trust us, self-regulation, voluntary codes of conduct, that's the best way forward. And of course, you know, they've been saying that for 50 years. And I think governments are beginning to be skeptical. They recognize that they totally failed on social media. They said, okay, we'll take a hands-off approach, you know, let a thousand flowers bloom. The innovative energies of the entrepreneurial economy will surely deliver the goods. And they did deliver the goods. Those goods are extraordinarily harmful to our societies. And regulators on both sides of the political spectrum recognize that they completely failed. So they don't want to fail again. And the stakes here are much, much higher. So I'm seeing skepticism. I'm seeing a willingness. But what's missing actually is a technical understanding. So they embrace things like red teaming. Oh, that sounds good. You know, evaluations and tests, all oh, those all sound good. But we had all those things in the development of GPT 3.5 and GPT 4. And yet, almost immediately, people found ways to cause those systems to misbehave in all the ways they were trained not to do. And uh, what are they missing then? What could prevent that? Well, I think from the technical side, and you'll, you'll hear this phrase over and over again. In fact, you know, to quote Sam Altman, we're going to make AGI, and then we're going to figure out how to make it safe, and then we're going to figure out what it's for. And to me, this, this seems completely backwards. But in fact, the whole phrase, make AI safe, is sort of viewing the AI as a given, and then we've got to figure out things to wrap around it, so-called guardrails, whatever else, to stop it from doing unsafe things. And that's a fundamentally broken approach, because if you've got a system that wants to do things that are harmful to humans, not because it wants to harm humans, because its constitution leads it to act in ways that are in fact harmful to humans, then trying to put a wrap around that to stop it from doing that is just the wrong approach. You need to make safe AI. In other words, AI that is safe because it's been designed that way from the beginning. And what's missing is what we have in other areas. For example, in nuclear power, the developer has to show to the regulator a mathematical analysis of their system, showing that the mean time to failure is 10 million years or more. And if they can't do that, the regulator is well tough. It's no good saying, well, it's really difficult to do that. So, you know, can I run my nuclear plant anyway? The regulator says, sorry, no, you know, figure it out. If you ask the AI companies, you know, can you give us a mathematical analysis showing that your system will not advise terrorists on how to build bioweapons, will not replicate itself onto other machines without permission, they'll say, oh, sorry, we can't do that. It's really difficult. And I think the ordinary person would look at the trillion dollar corporation and look at their admission that they don't even know how to stop it from doing those things and say, well, sorry, come back when you're ready. 
With an event like Davos, I think you can debate kind of the the real value, the real effect that a gathering like that has. I mean, certainly it, it brings all these very powerful people together in a beautiful Swiss town to talk about important topics, right? But then everybody leaves and goes home and, and what comes of it. I wonder, as, as you're leaving Davos now, what do you think will come of the AI conversations that people have been having there? I think one thing people may not know about Davos actually is that a lot of civil society organizations are invited. A lot of young people, they have several programs that bring in young people from all over the world, people who are working on forest preservation, on vaccination programs, you name it. So it's not just billionaires here. And people are able to get into conversation with almost anybody. You get in a shuttle bus, you might be sitting next to the vice president of the European Union, and you can talk to them for 20 minutes about what you do. And everyone is very, very open. They're a bit more glued to their cell phones this year than they were in previous years. And we, we you know, I think the forum should probably you know, ban cell phones in the shuttle buses so that people actually talk to each other. And I think, you know, one can be very cynical about it, but at least CEOs are supposed to stand up and explain to a somewhat skeptical audience, how are you making the world a better place? And again, you could say, well, you know, they're sure their PR person is just going to write some blather. And there is some of that. But actually, I think it has had an effect on the way people think about corporate impact on the environment, about the north-south divide, about how workers are treated, the supply chain, and so on. Now, do you think it'll have an effect on how people think about AI as well? Yes. You know, I've had a number of conversations with people who are in positions to make a difference, prime ministers, other government leaders. And it's important that they hear from a range of opinions, including opinions that are not vested interests. So that obviously, you know, the danger of only talking to CEOs, as as it sometimes happened in Washington, is that you're only hearing people who are talking in their own interests, not in the interests of the nation, let alone the world. Well, Stuart, thank you for making time to chat with us here at Politico Tech. Been a pleasure. That's all for today's Politico Tech. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our managing producer is Annie Reese. Our producer is Afra Abdullah. And our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overley. I'll see you back here on Monday.